shout, thank you, Jesus! Woo! Father, this is the cry of our heart. Lord, that we would become a house of prayer, Father, that we would steward ourselves as temples of the Holy Spirit, Father, that our church would be a temple of the Holy Spirit, Father, that this city would be a habitation of your presence. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in us right now. Father, we thank you for 2016. We thank you for what you're doing in 2017. Well, Father, I pray that you would take us deeper in the love of Jesus, further than we've ever been before. We want radical love encounters with Jesus. Holy Spirit, open up our hearts. Lead us in the way everlasting. We thank you for this, Lord. Thank you, God. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Um, it's good to be back. We, Jessica and I were praying against ice on the roads yesterday because we wanted to be back. <laughs> you know, we took two Sundays off and then we had a brunch at Jesse's house, which was really awesome. But uh, I love this space right here as we worship together. And, and it doesn't matter if it's uh, we got live worship or we got iPod. It's always good. And um, that's what I appreciate about our community is we're really a worshiping community. You know, one of the things uh, we've had um, Cody Oliver lead worship. He's from Bethel, Atlanta. And one of the things that he said about you guys was he said, man, y'all, y'all really sing. <laughs> you know, he's like, y'all really sing. I'm getting a lot of little feedback, Asa. Um, so we thank you. That's better. Um, and so that's. That's the, that's the cry of my heart. You know, Lord's called Jessica and I to pastor the awakening. Um, he's called us to do a few other different things. But my first calling, and it's true for everybody that calls upon the name of Jesus, that calls themselves a follower of Jesus, is to worship. And that's the hiding place. That's the strong tower of the Lord. That's the being in the shadow of his wings. Is, is worshiping the Lord. You hide in the, in the cleft of the rock. Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. And he said, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. What's one of Jesus's names? The rock. So it was even a foreshadowing of you being hidden in Christ that you may come fully into the presence of the Lord without shame, without condemnation, because you've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And so we just... Praise God for that. Um, part of what I want to share with you this morning is just what I feel like the Lord's been speaking for 2017. And I was, I was, uh, and it's, it's along these lines of, of worship. I, I titled the sermon Marching Forth in Worship. And, you know, David Hogan, 
I'm all for vision. I'm all for, you know, this people having specific plans and those making plans are good as long as they're submitted to the Lord because he'll direct your steps and those plans. So plans are a good thing. But uh, yielding to the Holy Spirit's better. And, and so planning's good. Yielding to the Holy Spirit's better. But uh, the Lord, I was trying to piece together all these things that the Lord was speaking to me. And then the Lord spoke something to me during worship that's actually in Acts 17, 2017. You know, the Lord likes to do stuff like that. But turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 17. Because as we were worshiping, I was just like, we're all facing this stage that has nothing up here. You know, we were fa- it's just, if somebody were to walk in, it would, be, it would look a little strange. If they had no idea about Jesus or Christianity, it's like, what are they worshiping? What are they facing towards? Because there's nothing, they're facing, they're worshiping this screen? No, I mean, so it's, and I thought about when Paul said, when he was actually, it says here in Acts 17, he was in Athens. So let's read this, verse 15. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens and receiving command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would, what would this idol babbler wish to say? Others say he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. When in doubt, preach Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, it said, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For you're bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Now, does that sound like a lot of like the world we live in? Let me tell you this idea. No, let me tell you this idea. It's just a verbal exchange of ideas with people sitting around telling about who's right and who's wrong and doing nothing. So Paul said, stood in the midst of the, or excuse me, 23, he says, For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children." 
So I was up here looking at this as I would, you know, we're facing a blank stage. And every other, you know, there's many other religions that have idols that, you worship, that they worship. I said, why, why don't we have an idol that we bow down to? Why don't we make a carved image of God? Have you ever thought about that? Why did, why did God forbid carving idols? Why is that one of the Ten Commandments? You shall not make a, a graven image. Have you ever wondered that? It's because, do you realize how small, even if we painted or made some statue of, of Jesus that captured one little aspect of his, of his glory, do you realize how small that, that would be? That you cannot comprehend and you cannot capture, you cannot enclose, you cannot put a boundary on, you can't fence in the, the glory of God. That's why there is no idol of God. That's because it, he is, you want to, you God, he says the glory of God is in the heavens. The, the glory of the Lord shall extend to all the nations. You can't comprehend it. All of eternity, you're going to be hitting your neighbor just saying, did you see what God did yesterday? I'm, I'm speaking in our time because in heaven there's really no time at all. But <laughs> did you see what God did? For all of eternity, we're going to be discovering the goodness of God, the glory that is his goodness, and just amazing. You, I mean, every day you think you're going to get tired of falling down on your knees and being like, you are amazing, but it's going to happen over and over again because you cannot contain it. And that's why there's no, that's why we don't have, that's why there's nothing on this stage. It's because he is the invisible God. And the reason he is invisible is because you, our human brains, our human minds, as creative as they are, cannot capture it. And so I feel like what, what Paul did, you know, here in Athens, God's been speaking to me about each and every one of us individually going, going deeper in intimacy with God and as a house, us going deeper in worship. So I, my dream is for us to have a meeting like this, a Sunday, you know, Sunday meeting. I'm a simple man. Where we're worshiping and we're... Now, when Solomon dedicated the temple, it said the Shekinah glory fell down. Fire filled the temple and all the priests got blown back. That is what I want to see before I die. I want to look back. I want to... I want to get thrown back, and then when I look back, I see all you guys on the ground because the glory of God fills this place so strong. Well, we're just worshiping. We're not trying to make anything happen. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus, and we're getting caught up in his glory. And it comes from this place of where, uh, where God's calling us back to our first love, to Jesus, just to lay down distractions to make new habits and part of that is you know Graham Cook said what's your plan for worship this year Graham Cook's a teacher and prophet if you've never heard of him but he says you need to have a plan for worship and I'm telling you just like I tell my clients with their fitness goals part of what I do is I'm a personal trainer you know they may want to lose 30 pounds by the end of the year I said but you got us you need to lose three pounds this month first Let's start with three pounds. 
And so as we make a plan to even worship, it's like, God, what am I, how can I change my daily routine just to give you a little more worship? And when I say worship, I'm talking about you just tell God, you tell God how awesome he is. You give thanks. Now, we talk about Thanksgiving a lot, but it has to be, we have to talk about it a lot because it's the entry point into worship. Psalm 100 says, enter his gates with uh, thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And so thanksgiving is the entry point. And so if you give us, and so you, sometimes I know for me, I get overwhelmed with uh, things that I'm like, okay, why am I trying oh, try to think of everything I'm thankful for? Just start with the simplest thing you can think of. God, I thank you that I got shoes on. God, I thank you that I have a podium that holds up my iPad so I don't have to try to fumble things around up here. I'm telling you, it sounds silly, but you start developing that kind of thing, that kind of thanksgiving. God, I thank you for crunchy peanut butter because I like it better than creamy. <laughs> God, thank you that I got bread. And you start recognizing, it's like, God, I got bread to eat. I got bread to put this peanut butter on. Thank you. God, I thank you that I've got a car that takes me to work and doesn't give me a lot of trouble. And it's got 200,000 miles. That thing, that Honda's like my pet. I bless that thing when I get in there. I was like, you, I was like Harry? Well, I name, we name our cars, by the way. He's Harry the Honda, Thor the Yukon, and praise the Prius. And so uh, I'm like, Harry, I bless you. You're going to last at least 150,000 more miles. You're going to be in this family a long time. He's a 2002 Honda Accord. And so... But I, I give. I was like, Lord, I thank you. I've got a. I've got a good car. Thank you. I've got clothes on my back. Thank you. I've got a job that I enjoy. I thank you that I get to pastor the awakening. Thank you for my children who are healthy. Thank you, God, for I got food in my tummy. God, thank you. And it's it cultivates. It starts growing. And so don't think about. We thank God for saving us and for the spiritual blessings, but. You start thanking him for the simple things. God, I thank you that I get to, I'm breathing, that you give me air to breathe. Thank you for the sun. Thank you for the snow. And it just builds and builds and builds. So that's always the entry point into worship. And so the first, I feel like God is, I feel like in 2017, we're going to see more people saved than we have any previous year, particularly through our church. But the Lord said, don't get the cart before the horse. And it's actually, you with, and in my mind, I'm like, okay, Lord, let's start, let's start preaching on evangelism. But the Lord instead, he said, no, you're going to, I want you to go through the song of songs. Because one of the words I heard this year was the word sing. And, and actually, if you get, in, so song of songs, if you've never done a study on it, it's really, really good. <laughs> that's all I can say. It's really, really good. And what it does is if you want to increase in your love for other people, you've got to increase in the revelation of how much God loves you. That's where it starts. Because Jesus didn't say, hey, the, the greatest commandment is go and love your neighbor and then uh, love God. He said, love God. And then you'll love your, love your neighbor as yourself. So 
one of the, the things about going deeper in intimacy with God is you're going to discover how much he really, really loves you, how much he cares for you, how much he is calling out to you. That he, he really only just cares about your heart. He doesn't need you to do anything. Jesus did it all. Jesus did it all. But the invitation is to, is to do what Luke said in Acts chapter 1. He, he's writing to Theophilus. He said, I, I've written to you previously, Theophilus, about the works that Jesus began to do. The works that Jesus began to do. So he's, Luke was talking about his gospel. So he's talking about, I've written about the works that Jesus began to do. So what does that mean? What is that implying? Jesus isn't done. And he wants to use you. That's what Acts is about. Acts is still in the in process. It's like on chapter 2000 or something like that. But Acts is still in process. It's the, until Jesus comes back and finishes it, and then we're co-laboring with him to do the works that he does. We're co-laborers with Christ. And so, and what is the work that Jesus does? He destroys the work of the devil. It says in John chapter 3, Jesus came, this, for this purpose, Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Stealing, killing, destroying. It's that simple. Whatever kills, whatever steals, whatever destroys is the work of the devil. All right? So we're marching forth in worship. In Isaiah 42, verse 13, it says, this is the New Living Translation. It says, the Lord will march forth like a mighty hero. He will come out like a warrior full of fury. He will shout his battle cry. And crush all of his enemies. So what is the battle cry of Jesus? Think about that. What is the battle cry of Jesus? What was the, his, wep, his weapon of choice? The cross. What was his cry on the cross? Forgive them. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Jesus works in the complete paradox of what this world is based on. In Psalm 139, David says, lead me in the way everlasting. Have you ever wondered what that means? It's like way everlasting. What, lead me in the way everlasting. What is that? Basically, David's saying, teach me the way of heaven. Teach me the way of life that's going to last forever. Not this temporal world, the way that people do. This is very temporal. The way the world does things is very minute, temporal, and it's going to end soon. But the way heaven does, does things is going to last forever. So what he's saying is teach me the ways of heaven. And when we operate in the ways of heaven, the everlasting way on earth, then that stands in contrast to the ways of the world. And that's what makes people say, what do you have that I want? How can you forgive them when they just put you on a cross? But that is warfare in the kingdom. Forgiving your enemies and blessing your enemies is warfare. You know, I've had 
number of occasions where I've had people, you know, in the workplace, I had one coworker that was really, he was like competing with me to try to get a promotion. And I, I wasn't even trying to compete with him because I knew I probably wasn't, couldn't take that job anyways because I had too much on my plate. But I sent, and so he, he's competing with me and he's, he's trying to get a step on me and it was obvious. And I sent him a, uh, an email and I said, hey man, I want you to know that you're a natural born leader. And so instead of like trying to like, okay, well, I got to get an edge on this guy. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to call out the things that is true about him. I said, you're a natural born leader. I said, you are doing an amazing job leading this department. And you're, I was like, you're going to always be a leader. He, to this day, he comes up to me and says, hey, man, I just read that email again for the 20th time. That was six years ago. He still tells me he reads that email. And from that day on, his defense let down. He's like, I can let Travis in. I had another guy I was playing pickup basketball with. Has anybody ever lost their temper on the sports field. I know, I know, no, y'all have, I know y'all have. What am I saying? It's just me. Uh, but anyways, so I was playing basketball and this guy was just, man, he's giving me a hard time. And he was accusing me of fouls and all this kind of stuff. And he started attacking my character. And I said, man, I was like, that's, that's a devil lie right there, man. I didn't tell him that, but I was just, I knew it. I was like, so I didn't, get, I didn't lose my temper with him or I didn't say anything back. I didn't retaliate. I just went home because I had to, I was hot. I came home, started spewing to Jessica. She's like, don't let him take that away from you. And I was like, that's right. I'm going to move in the opposite spirit. So I sent this dude a Facebook message. I was like, I was like hey, man, I love the way you promote the community in Athens, I love the way you promote athletes. You are an encourager, which is what he truly is. But to me, he was trying to tear me down. I was like, you're, you're an encourager, and you're, you're really making a difference in the youth in Oconee County. All of a sudden, he starts posting things about me on Facebook, about the glory days at Oconee County, and, and uh Travis Gay being a basketball player and all this kind of stuff, he starts promoting me on Facebook. And I run into him, and he's got nothing but kind things to say about me. That's warfare. That's warfare. I forgave him. I blessed him. I went a step further and actually was proactive in blessing him. Your prayers are powerful, but it's like, what, what can you do to actually take that step forward? Anyways, don't know why I got off on that, but let's forgive them. I also heard the Lord say disarmed. And in Colossians 2, it says, You who were dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So Jesus triumphed over the, the rulers, the, and he's talking about spiritual forces of darkness, the rulers and the authorities by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It says he disarmed the devil. 
because he died on the cross and was resurrected. Now, for us who are in Jesus Christ, how do we disarm the devil? You choose to take up your cross and follow Jesus. And sometimes that's painful. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it means forgiving those who have hurt you, blessing your enemies. And I'm, that's not the easiest thing to do in your flesh. But to follow Jesus, that's what you have to do. Now, when you do that, you disarm the principles and the powers and authorities when you forgive. Forgiveness is a weapon. Romans 16.20 says, The peace of God, the, or the, excuse me, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. A, a, a peace, the God of peace crushes enemies? How does that work? But as we, as we follow Jesus to the cross, as we take up our cross, then we disarm the enemy. So the Lord, out of this place of intimacy, we're going to become joyful harvesters. Now, most of, joy comes when uh, you don't have any fear. Because how many of y'all like roller coaster rides? I love roller coaster rides. Now, some people have zero fear of them at all. You know, I, I have a little bit of fear about the excitement overrides it. Part of not walking in fear is, first of all, is love cast out fear. And if I know, if I really know that if I were sharing the gospel with Benjamin, but and what he says has will sway my character and sway my my love for him to absolutely nil, that it's not going to do anything. So it, this is let me back up because. If I'm, if I'm sharing the gospel with Benjamin, what love does is I can love Benjamin and I, can, and I can serve him and I can share with him and I can minister to him. But at the same time, what he says about me means nothing. Do you understand that? It doesn't mean that's not, but because whose opinion is more important, the Lord's or, the, or, or man's? But what, God, what that does is the love of God frees you to minister to people and not have your, your ego or your identity affected by what they say because you, you, you will be rejected. Even Jesus was rejected. But, it, but it's like I've heard Todd White say, he's like, you can't reject me, man. Dude, I love you. So it's not dependent on them. You can't, I don't, I don't, you can't reject me. I love you. And so... That's what we get afraid of is the rejection and the pain of that. But when we really, that's why understanding how much God loves you is so important for the harvest. Well, you hear these evangelists, you hear Chris Overstreet, you hear Todd White talk about, they say, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Because if you're going out there in your own strength and you're not, you don't really understand, you don't really know that God loves you, you're going to go out there and you're going, to, you're going to feel like you're trying to make something happen. And part of that is the learning process. It doesn't mean you're always going to do it perfect. You're always going to feel the love of God when you, when you witness to somebody. I'm not saying any of that. But what I'm saying is we want, to, we want to grow in that. We want to go deeper in that. We're truly, we're, there is no fear of man at all. 
but it starts with understanding how much the Lord loves you. So part of, uh, if you're fairly new to the awakening, part of what God's called us to is to be a worshiping family. And uh, we tell this story about King Jehoshaphat. It's in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20. King Jehoshaphat was surrounded by a huge army of the enemy. And the Lord said, do not fear, I'm going to fight for you. Just do what I tell you to do. And uh, Jehoshaphat, and the Lord said, You're gonna, I want you to go out onto the battlefield and watch me rout your enemies, but you, won't lift, but you won't have to fight. Now, imagine, I just, okay, I'm gonna go out in the battlefield and I'm just gonna stand there. Imagine the vulnerability that they feel in that, in that moment. That's a lot of times when the Lord sends you out, he asks you to do something that's a faith risk. You're like, I'm really vulnerable right now. And I feel kind of naked out here on the battlefield, Lord. I don't feel equipped. Uh, what are you doing? But the Lord, Jehoshaphat sent out the worshipers before, ahead of the army. And as they worship, their, their war cry, this is the war cry of heaven. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his love endures forever. That's what they sang before they went out to war. The worshipers leading the army onto the battlefield. And you had, they had to position themselves. So part of seeing God rout your enemies is you got to get on the battlefield. You got to get in the game. It means taking a risk. It means, okay, God, I'm going to set aside a little bit extra time for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my habits. Now, we have some friends that one of the things that they're trying to do is uh, just not, put, not have their uh, phone by their bed. That's, that's their one thing they're trying to do when they go to sleep, not have their phone by their bed. That's what I'm talking about. It's, like, I'm not, it's not about like, okay, I'm going to start spending four hours in the presence of God every morning or, or a four-hour devotional. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm like, what's the one thing? that just needs the tweak, that needs the change, that can really change the whole direction of your life. And so we've got to position ourselves. It says, stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. So this war is fought by families. Personal families and church families should be set apart by worship. So again, what's the one thing? Just ask the Lord, like, what's the one thing that you want me to, to change that will increase my connection with you? That's what it's about. It's about connection. It's not about time. It's not about, hey, saying I had a, yeah, I'm, got this long a devotional or prayer. I've read this many books of the Bible. It's like, how, are, how can you increase connection with the Lord? What needs to change? You know, one of the things I've, I've tried to get better about was when my kids get off the bus at school, I put my phone, because our phones, it's not, it's not like we're just on social media all the time. All of our work flows through this thing. And so, but it can, it can really wait I put it on act two. I hear Jessica calling. I'll go get it. 
I'm trying when I get off the when I get off the bus, putting it in my bedroom, so I'm not sending emails or even texts or anything like that. But I've, my kids have undistracted dad. That's the one thing I'm trying to change with my kids. All right. It's just like you know the the social media. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just like alcohol doesn't kill people. Drinking too much alcohol kills people. Guns don't kill people. Shooting people. So a person pulling the trigger kills people. Social media doesn't distract you. It's people using it too much. You know, it's all that. You understand what I'm saying? We have the power. We're not powerless. We're not powerless. So also, one of the things as, uh, as we enter into the new year is concerning vision. How many of y'all consider yourselves like visionaries? You're like an idea person. Like you just, I knew you would raise your hand, Benjamin. Anybody else? Raise your hand. It's like you like setting goals for yourself. I know Clint. Yeah, raise your hand. Don't be shy. All right. So here's the thing. When you've been, if you've been living long enough, which is like if you've been doing that for, say, five to ten years, you're going to realize that it's not going to work out exactly the way you pictured it. Now, this is going to help you understand that. So we have a friend who's a dairy farmer. He plants corn to feed his cows. And he said, <laughs> that's my son. Uh, he said, he's never had perfect conditions to plant corn. He's never had perfect conditions to plant corn, but he's, he's always gotten a harvest. So your vision, maybe what if God's calling you to um, influence media and to have videos on, on social media that are really shaping nations, it may look like starting in your garage with your handheld camcorder. You know what I'm saying? And then from there, it's like you're faithful with that little, that little thing God gives you much. For me, 2017, one of my goals is I'm going to get a voiceover gig. And and so I've got to, so one of the things I got to do, I got to start creating a portfolio. I got to do stuff. I've got to have a library of things that I can hand people. It's like, hey, if you're interested in using me for voiceover, here's some of my work. But I had to buy equipment. I had to try to figure out how to use the software that records my voice. You know, and it's, you hit, you have all these little things that, don't go super smooth. And you, so you've got to, that's what I'm saying. It's not perfect, but you're going to get a harvest if you just keep chopping away, chop that wood, chop that wood. But you want a sharp ax too, so. <laughs> so we make war with, with praise and with peace. And again, I want to come back to the Song of Songs. Um, I believe that 
the harvest and the Song of Songs is uh, really coincide with each other. Um, there's a lady back in the 1600s. Her name was uh, Madame Guyon, and she was just a woman who had a very deep, intimate relationship with the Lord. She was put in prison for her beliefs. She was a she was Catholic, but the Catholic Church put her in prison because she was bucking some of the Catholic dogma um, because it was her relationship with Jesus was a little too intimate. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's, she was hearing from God and all these kinds of things. And so she got put in prison and she wrote a lot of things in prison. And um, But one of the things that she said is that before revival hits, one of the one of the revelations the church gets is their their worth as the bride of Christ. And the Song of Songs is can be taken on many levels. It can be taken individually, but and as the church as a whole. For us, you got to get it individually before you can get really corporately. But um, that's the importance of this. Uh, of the Song of Songs there. Sending to the right hand. Sorry, it's taking it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. So, again, like I said, I was, the Lord gave me like a few different words that all have a, a, another theme, or not another theme, the same theme. And I had this one vision where I said, where I, I, I saw the church, us worshiping Jesus as he ascended to the Father. So it's like in the beginning of Acts where Jesus is ascending. But there was a pillar of fire that was like right underneath Jesus' feet, and that pillar of fire was connecting heaven to earth. And the Lord, he just showed me, he says, you know, the ascension of Jesus, it led to the upper room where the 120 disciples gathered. And, and Jesus said, wait there, wait in Jerusalem for the promise. So that's what they did. They prayed. Pentecost. So the upper room led to Pentecost, which was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. That's where the tongues of fire came into the upper room over the 120. They started speaking in different languages. Out of the upper room Pentecost experience, the harvest came. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus we ascend to where he is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Where the Spirit's poured out on us and then the harvest comes. But what's the first step? Just like the disciples were gazing at Jesus. We can't, we, you can't get anywhere else without that. We have to, we have to gaze upon the beauty of Jesus first. I want the harvest. I want to see people get saved. I want to see nations change, cities transform. But we can't get the, the cart before the horse. We have to worship. And so God's calling us deeper. So they were praying and waiting for the promise. So God's, he's looking for a company of people to bring Pentecost. I believe, he's, I believe we're a company of people that God wants to bring a new Pentecost through. We're not the only ones. But I believe he wants to do that. That's his desire. 
And so we're, in the meantime, we're going to discover how much the Father loves us. We're going to discover how much Jesus loves us. And we're going to get on the battlefield and worship. We're going to get in places of vulnerability where it's like, God, you have to show up. In the meantime, I'll worship. God's calling you. You have a battlefield. What is the battlefield? He's calling you there. And it's actually, you're going to thrive there. It may not be the most comfortable place, but you will thrive there. Because that's what you were born to do. And we just we have just a short time to be overcomers. 80 to 90 years. When we get to heaven, there's nothing to overcome anymore. And so we have just a, we have 80 to 90 years to be overcomers. And I just want to, one of my regular prayers is like, God, just let me be faithful with what you've given me. I want to be faithful. Help me. I need help. Anybody else need help? We need help. Here's some 2017 declarations. You, I'll send these out in the email since our PowerPoint isn't working, but I'm just going to read them out to you. We are marching forth in thanksgiving and praise. With joy, we will draw water from the wells of salvation. That's Isaiah 12, verse 3. We are a frontline worshiping family that wages war by worshiping Jesus Christ, the warrior king. Our increased levels of worship and love encounters with God are compelling us to share the love of Christ. Jesus is with me. I will not be afraid. We are seated, righteous and restful, at the right hand of the Father in Christ. God is using us to help usher in a new Pentecost outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Athens. We are coming into greater depths of revelation, wisdom, understanding, and experience of the love of Christ. Let's stand. Wifey's got something. Y'all can sit down. You can sit for one second. Um, so I have two things. Um, I love getting weapons. I mean, I love these sermons about our weapons. Because sometimes we're, like, out there fighting with, like, like, swim noodles. You know what I mean? And we're, like, somebody's got a big old sword, and we got our swim noodle, and we're, like, you know, and just chopping our swim noodle up. Like, no need for that. Like, get forgiveness. Like, that's a sharp sword. You know, like, get, some, get these tools that are, like, really sharp, and you can fight the enemy because he hates you. Like, he totally hates you. You have a real enemy. And 2017 is about victory.